Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discover the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 145, verses 10 through 13 say, All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about praise. We're talking about the Lord. We're talking about his kingdom. The Lord is my strength and my impenetrable shield. My heart trusts with unwavering confidence in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I shall thank him and praise him. So I praise him for my home, my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, and for Deb's birthday, everybody's here. So I have them all, my grandson, furry kids, possessions. I am a blessed man, and I praise him for that. I praise him for his provision and protection over all of us, each and every one of us for the dreams and the visions and all the things prophesied that would come with Messiah. I praise him for his healing virtues, for his favor and divine revelation, that we are new creations and living in these prophetic times may get uncomfortable and sometimes just may be downright bad. But we know what his word says and his promises are yea and amen, and that's what we hold on to. So I praise him for the signs, the signs that he's giving to us to get ready for him. So let's get ready. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Pray for Jerusalem every day. Pray for Israel. Pray for America that God may shed his grace on thee. We surely need it because I, for one, believe that we are about to see a righteous and a holy God show himself. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, the martyred, the innocents, and those who are victims of injustice. There is no justice in this world. There is no truth, and those who seek it are vilified and attacked, but we do so anyway. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents in and out of the womb, both human and animal. All of his creation are being violated For the missing and exploited children, the victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, a diabolical, satanic endeavor. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Whether it's religious persecution or anti-Semitism, I know that the spirit of the Antichrist is behind it. And it's growing and it's getting darker and we must shine. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design. I want you to remember that I've been using that phrase for 10 years. We need to get back to it. 
We need to understand what it takes to be healthy in accordance with him and his word because he needs us. He needs us to be healthy. He needs us to do a job, and we can't do it if we're injured or sick. So if you're injured or sick in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit right now, in the name of Yeshua, I speak to you and say be made whole, be healed. Pray for divine protection, that Psalm 91 covering he offers us, for inspiration, the fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up into us so that we can use it, that the remnant would wake up. I know you are. I know that you're, if you're listening, you are a part of the remnant, but we got to wake up some others. we got to get them to rise up and answer the call to action. Send them these podcasts. Tell them about the porch where the remnant meets. For those who are called to bless, that they would be a blessing. I know God has amazingly blessed some people in this world. We're looking for those people to begin to help us, whether it's the porch or firefall or SRT or some of the other things the Lord has ordained for his kingdom. Pray with us that we would prosper in accordance with his word, that we'd finish this documentary, begin to do others, that we would help train people and get out there, become highly mobile, that the open conduits of his blessings, even through us to others, would be manifested. And, of course, we pray for our lost family members to come into the kingdom, for the Lord to send angels to go get them, to find them. I also want to mention tomorrow night as sundown begins Purim, the celebrating, the celebration of Queen Esther answering the call in her life to stop the evil Haman, an example of the Antichrist from killing the Jews and to bring relief to her people. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm praying he does it again. So, Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. For all those that are sick, all those that are in need, all those that are having family troubles, financial troubles, whatever they are, we bring them to your remembrance. But first, we want to tell you we love you, that you are awesome. You're a great dad. You are Abba, Father, Papa God, Daddy. And we love you. We seek you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for seeking us and saving us and sending Yeshua to die for us. Every drop of blood, all the pain, all the shame, everything he endured for us because of your love for your children. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And I got to tell you, I long to see you. We long to see you face to face when the time comes. But until then, we got a job to do and we need some help. So Holy Spirit, help us open our minds, clear our hearts. Right now, just run through each and every person. Let the wind of the Spirit run through them, clear them. Heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, every aspect. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah. And we cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you to teach us. We need you to remind us, to walk with us, encourage us. And we thank you for it. We do not take you for granted. We know you're here because the Lord sent you and that you emanate from the Father and you're all one but we don't want to take anything for granted. So thank you. Bless us. Bless the technology. Have your way with us this night. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we... Forgive our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We want your kingdom, Lord, to come rule and reign on earth as it does in heaven. Use us to do it. Lead us away from the snares, the traps, and the temptation of the evil one's kingdom. See, it's, it's your kingdom we seek. And its power and its glory forever. His kingdom. That's what we've been talking about. That's where it, we are in the process of building. I know I am. I know I'm working with people that are. Until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God, we have to tend to it. That's what he was doing when he sent the children of Israel into the promised land. He was building a kingdom. Twelve tribes intended to be a kingdom for the Lord God. Kingdoms built by the Lord God, but tended to by man. He's in partnership with us for whatever reason. He's come into covenant relationship with us. So to do that, we must walk by faith and not by sight. We must be Hebrews. We must cross over. See, Holman Bible Dictionary says that the term Hebrew was a designation that began with Abraham in Genesis 14 to make him distinct from the Amorites. And so whenever you see the term uh, Genesis fourteen thirteen, the one who escaped and came and told Abram the Hebrew, it's the first time it's mentioned, for he dwelt by the cherubim trees of Mamera and uh, the Amorite brother of Eshkol and the brother of Anir, and they were allies with Abram. So we're crossing over, distinguished Joseph from the Egyptians and slaves from other ethnic identity. It became an identity. Crossing over, getting out of bondage, leaving Egypt, going into the promised land. When Joseph was in prison, he told the baker in Genesis fourteen fifteen, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and have done nothing here that should put me into the dungeon. In the first encounter with Pharaoh in Exodus 5, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a fast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh, not being, being very bright, said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So Moses and Aaron said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the desert, desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Right there was a differentiation from the false gods of Egypt, who I believe were either fallen angels or the firstborn of the Nephilim, their firstborn rather, and the, separating them from the one true God. Abram became Abraham. and It was about crossing over from the false gods to the one and only true God. He crossed over physically, left his homeland, heading in the journey to this promised land. Well, it took 400 years. They got delivered from Egypt. They uh, crossed the Red Sea with Moses. And then with Joshua, they crossed the Jordan River and into the promised land. All of these acts, historical, though they are, are representations of the deliverance and salvation offered to us in his name. See, we cross over from death to life through Messiah, from the false gods of this world to the one true God and his only Son. And I wish more people were as bold about it as I am that would speak out about it, would take a stand and say, no, I will not follow, I will not bow down, I will not compromise, I will not shake hands with the fallen. Philippians 1, six says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Messiah Yeshua returns. See, whatever work he begins, he continues. And if it's his, excuse me, if it's his, it'll be finished one way or another, but from his hand. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, 
the watchmen keep awake in vain. Everything has got to be done for him, by him, and with him. Too many man-made efforts in this world, and they put God's name on it, and he had nothing to do with them. So the promised land we've been talking about, a long-awaited dream for the Israelites, wandering for 40 years to fulfill a 400-year-old covenant that he made with Abraham. All that was doing was foreshadowing our journey into his promises, now spiritually fulfilled, but will be fulfilled completely when he returns. That's what we're looking for. But we don't know when because his promises are fulfilled in his timing, not man's. But I want to tell you something. There's no time to rest. There's work to be done. Remember when we started this, I said a kingdom is the territory over which a king reigns. God is the creator of all things. So the extent of his realm is the entire world. The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns. And since he reigns everywhere, the kingdom of God is everywhere. Psalm 145, verses 10 through 13, I quoted at the beginning. I want to do it again. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is what? An everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. But you see, to his son, he gave him a throne. He gave him a scepter of righteousness, which is the scepter of the kingdom. So this whole process, from Genesis to Revelation, is about building a kingdom. But the one thing that I don't think everybody understands, especially when I discuss this, building a kingdom starts with the people. Adam lost it. Yeshua regained it. We are in it. It's in us. And we tend to the kingdom as his servants and as his children. This kingdom mindset, it's not like what some people teach and what has been taught for about a decade. And I've heard some teachings on the kingdom that I just shake my head and raise my eyebrows and wonder where they get it from. And none of what they've said has come to pass. And it's been too based in this world. And it's not been based upon the kingdom of God in the, in the word. Revelation 1 verses 5 through 7. This is John the Revelator, John the Apostle, writing this from the Isle of Patmos. And from Yeshua HaMashiach, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see, and even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. The king is coming. And the reason he's coming, because he's been in covenant with us. The covenant his father made. We'll get, we're going to get into the battle of Jericho. That's what we're talking about tonight. But I'm trying to pull you back to this kingdom mindset. Jeremiah 31:33 says, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. The problem I've seen is the law has been written in some minds, but it's not been written on their hearts. Remember, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. The problem that we've seen, we saw it in Israel. We'll see it after they get through Jericho, after they have the, the great years of Joshua. They begin to compromise. The compromise of the church right now is offensive. It's a stench to heaven. We've ignored Second Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 16. 
Do not be unequally bound together with unbelievers. Do not make mismatched alliances with them inconsistent with your faith. For what partnership can righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony can there be between Messiah and Belial, which is Hasatan, Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Well, that was the process that began with Israel in the wilderness and set into motion in Jericho. If you remember, Jericho is on the west side of the Jordan, about five miles from the southernmost fords and ten miles northwest of the Dead Sea. It's in the broad part of the plain of the Jordan, nearly a thousand feet below sea level and about 35,000 feet below Jerusalem, which is a mere 14 miles away. Jericho was large. It was a thriving city for centuries, even millennia before the Bible first mentions it with the exodus from Egypt. In fact, they believe Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world, dating back to and before the Neolithic age, which was 10,000 years ago. And of course, if you only believe the Bible is 6,000, uh, the world is 6,000 years old, I, you know, all I'm going to tell you is Jericho was around at the beginning. Well, how could that be? I believe Jericho was the city before the flood. I believe it was one of the places that the Nephilim and their offspring and the fallen inhabited because we know that the Nephilim are there even afterwards. So go with me to Joshua chapter 6. This is where we'll be tonight and probably next week too. There's a lot to talk about here and I'm not going to rush through it. Starting with verse 1. Now Jericho was securely shut up, barred and bolted because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Jericho guarded two important entrances in the heart of the hill country. You don't get to the rest of the promised land unless you go through Jericho. If the Israelites do not conquer this city first, once they get past it, they'll have a well-armed enemy at their backs standing between the Israelite forces and the families encamped at Gilgal. They had to conquer Jericho first. Some of you have a Jericho in your life. You have a Jericho in your calling. And you can't get to where you're going unless you conquer it. Now, I'm not going to cheapen the story by allegorizing Jericho, but it's a symbol. You can't get into the promised land unless you conquer the enemies of that city. Now remember what Rahab said to the two spies in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is what she said to the men. I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and when you, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Jehon and Og, giants, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did, did there remain any courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. I have a warfare mindset. I know you know that because if you've been with me all this time on the porch... I see everything from warfare. It's what I was trained to do for the Lord. It's what I do with SRT. It's one aspect of, of what I do. But I sincerely believe the enemy should be afraid of a people who serve and are empowered by the Lord God of all creation. I believe every enemy, smallest demon, largest fallen angel, something has been worshipped as a god, should be afraid Shouldn't be arrogant, shouldn't be boastful. Well, I know they are. They're slightly psychotic, just a, just a little. Um, but the fact is they should know that what's standing in front of them more than likely is going to defeat them. And that's what was happening in Jericho. 
And if we jump forward, flash forward to Joshua 24:11, we find out that there are seven Canaanite nations in Jericho. You crossed the Jordan, came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorite, the Parasite, and the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Girgashite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. So I gave them into your hands, says the Lord. It would seem that all seven Canaanite nations came to Jericho. They came together to help the king of Jericho against the invading Israelites. That word that Rahab spoke has spread. And we know from the Aramaic translation or paraphrases of portions of the Old Testament called the Targum, it was originally passed down verbally and then was written, it indicates that Jericho was a very, the, and the, the place and the people, they were very strong, they had gates of iron and bars of brass, and they were shut up so tightly, so closely, that none came out either to combat or make offers of peace. They, they've, they're locked down. In the natural, with the armies of Israel, without the Lord's help, this is not feasible. But you know what? We need to back up to Joshua chapter 5, and there's a ringer in the game. Go with me, Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite of him with his sword drawn in his hand. If he lifted his eyes, that means he was tall. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? He didn't answer the question. He said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Well, that ought to give you a clue who the commander of the Lord's army is, the captain of the host, the same instructions given to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 5, at the burning bush. But this encounter is to encourage Joshua on the eve of action, on the eve of the battle of Jericho. And I like the fact that he did not respond to Joshua's questions, but identified himself. I have a hard time, this is just me now, with people that tell stories about their encounters with angels, and they have these flowing conversations. I don't believe it's biblical. I don't believe it's the example in the Bible. And it's not the example I've experienced or people whose testimonies I believe. He simply identified himself as the commander of the army of the Lord. And this elicited a response of worship from Joshua. He's standing in front of what we call a theophany, the pre-existent Yeshua. Joshua now, like Moses, is truly fulfilling his teacher's shoes and taking them off. Confronted with the living God as Moses had been, and this theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Yeshua, is not of God the Father who cannot be seen. Remember, in the beginning, before all time, was the Word, the Messiah. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God himself. And he was continually existing in the beginning, co-eternally with God. All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that came into being. In him was life and the power to bestow life, and the life was the light of men. Life and light. The one who said, let there be. This is not an angel, a created being, 
but the Lord himself. So many false teachings and false religions have been built upon angel worship. That this was Michael, or this was Gabriel, and to be worshipped. See, he was worshipping him as God. No, no, no created being is to be worshipped. The one that is to be worshipped is the one that is pre-existent, the one that is before all time, the one that is outside of time. But the message to Joshua at this moment is found in Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, who can be successful against you? He's being shown on the eve of this event, an important event, that they're not alone. So let's go back to verse 2 of chapter 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. No resistance, nothing in your way. Why? He told them, I have given you Jericho. Once again, he's encouraging Joshua, all you have to do is obey God, just like you've been doing your entire life. And the verb have given communicates something that has already happened. And not only does that emphasize the role of God in their victories, Israel's victories, it emphasizes that he's outside of time. When he tells you something's going to happen, it's because he's already seen it happen. Uh, It's really difficult to grasp with a finite mind. He knows the end from the beginning. He's already seen everything happen. So when he says to you, and then confirms through two or three witnesses who don't know anything about what was said, when he confirms to you that something's going to happen, that means it's already done. Remember back in Joshua 2.24, the spies, the two spies that came back from scouting out the land, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Now, they were probably just speaking fact and being encouraging, but they were prophesying. We need to trust him. And I'm speaking to myself. The Lord has told me some great and mighty things he wants done. He has shown me how to do them. He has shown me what the outcome will be. He has shown me what the benefit to the kingdom is. Have I experienced it? No. But I know he's telling me the truth. One time my brother Larry and I were praying about some of the things that we're doing. And we were asking the Lord about it and some sort of confirmation about what he was saying. And it it involved finances. And we wanted to know if we did what we were supposed to, if, if we will do what we are supposed to, and we didn't want to fail, and we didn't want to mess up. And what he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's done. You've already spent that money. And I understood what that meant. He was telling me he has seen us already do what we haven't done yet that we're praying for. 
A natural mind can't handle that. A spirit mind, spirit-filled mind, a mind of Messiah, his mind is what gets you through that. So here they are at Jericho. Remember, I told you this is not a very big city. It's only about seven acres, less than half a mile in circumference. And they are to march around the city, which means it shouldn't take very long to do. In verse 4, he says, Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark, but the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. So we have seven priests, seven shofars, around seven acres, and blown on the seventh day by those seven priests. Sounds pretty substantial to me. Sounds like there's a message there having to do with the number seven, but I'll get to that. Why would they be blowing the shofar? Well, in battle, the shofar alerted the troops or a town to an enemy's approach or sounded the call to advance to war or to retreat. But here, here's what it signals in Jericho. And I don't think it just signals to the people. I think it signals to those in the spirit realm as well, those that are not seen by the natural eye, that God's presence is there. And it is announcing impending doom on Jericho. If you've seen any of the videos that SRT has done, and probably a lot of you haven't because I've kept them pretty close to the vest, to be used in the documentaries we're making, But before we begin, I will blow the shofar and I will blow one long blast called Tekeah. It's either a summons to worship or war or a wake-up call. And what you'll almost always see, if we're filming it or somebody's taking big pictures, that that blast of the shofar does something to the two realms. Like the veil is ripped and suddenly you're surrounded by spirit orbs, and other things. That blast of the shofar represents him, the ram caught in the thicket. It's got a sound to it. If if you've never heard it, when you hear it for the first time, it does something to you. It resonates deep inside of you. This is a story I was going to save till next week, but there's a song by my friend Carmen. That I'll play next week called Jericho. And when I was at Christian Heritage for one of the uh, church conferences, the the youth pastor sang the song, and we had a stage full of people that could blow shofars. And when it came time to the one blast that brought the walls down and all the shofars were blown, there were people in that audience, some, some elderly, some not so elderly, but they'd never been in a room filled with the shofar blast and you watched people just break some in tears some shouting some it was an emotional moment that's what that does seven priests seven trumpets seven days seven trips around the city seven's a significant number in the scriptures seven days of creation the seven churches of revelation Then we have multiplications of seven, 70 times seven for forgiveness, which means beyond keeping count. The Jubilee is 49 years. Seventy elders helped Moses in Exodus 24. Seventy years was a time of exile in Jeremiah 29 and Daniel 9. Yeshua sent out the 70 in Luke chapter 10. The tribulation is seven years. It's a time of completion. It completes something. The Holman Bible Dictionary says that a major word for making an oath or swearing is Shabbat. It's closely related to the word seven, which is Sheba, meaning to swear an oath. 
to declare seven times or to bind oneself by seven things. Completion. In the tribulation, it's the completion, the time of Jacob's trouble. Everything that needs to be done has been done, and the king comes back. But its use here is to demonstrate the conquest of Jericho was a part of a larger spiritual effort that sanctified the people and the land for God. They're completing one phase of their journey, but they're about to start another. Crossing over and taking Jericho is the process, the completion of, the, of what was promised to Abraham when he was Abram, but it's also the beginning of the rest of their journey. That's the way God does. He builds upon things, precept upon precept, line upon line. Just because you fulfill something doesn't mean you're done. That then leads you to something else. We're always building towards his return. We're building towards fulfilling the kingdom. We're building towards destroying the enemy. We're building towards taking back the land. It's never done. You move from level to level. It's a part of the process. It's a part of your growth. It's a part of your training. Where are you right now in your growth? Are you stuck somewhere? Then you need to get moving spiritually, mentally, physically. And many times, like with what we're doing, we have to wait for God to deliver what he said has already happened. But we continue to strive, we continue to plan, we continue to pray and war and do what we're called to do, acting as if we are in process, and we are. Though we've yet to obtain it, we know that it's ours. His promises are yea and amen. He promised Abraham a land, and now they're acquiring it. It took 400 years. Abraham is long gone. His word is true. And they use this term, men of valor, men of war. And I, and I found it important because it seems interesting in my life lately. I meet people. That's not, that's not unusual. I meet people a lot. But I meet people that I'm supposed to walk with or work with that don't understand what I do. They don't understand SRT, and they definitely don't understand how my father uses me as his son. Oh, brother, you don't have to do those things anymore. You don't have to do that warfare. You don't have to deal with those things anymore. This is a different time. And they can't ever show me anywhere in the New Testament that says that. I had a dream recently, and some people interpreted it. And some people gave me the proper interpretation, and other people saw that, oh, no, 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 because that happened, that means you shouldn't be doing that anymore. You put yourself and others in danger. And the Lord spoke to me, and basically, I'll just paraphrase, basically what he said is people are trying to disarm you. Don't listen to them, listen to me. So who are these men of valor, these mighty men of valor, these men of war? The word valor in the Hebrew is hayel, hayel, it's I-E, not E-L, hayel. It means strength, it means wealth, it means army. It's the basic idea of strength and influence. Valor is strength and influence. Boy, we could use some men of valor today, couldn't we? It's used to speak of the strength of a people, of horses, of nations. When describing men, it speaks to those who are strong for war, able to judge, or righteous in behavior. But women, you're not left out because it's also used to describe women who have a virtuous character like Esther. Look what Esther did. She wasn't a, a warrior in the natural, but she was one in the spiritual. And through her influence and following the lead of God, who, by the way, is never mentioned once in the book of Esther by name, she became a woman of valor. But the kind of valor we're talking about, the kind of strength I'm talking about here, can only be supplied by the Lord God. This isn't natural. It's super natural. 
Psalm seventy-three twenty-six. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the rock and the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But in this case, and as the case of King David, mighty men of valor are those who are fit for war, called to do battle for the Lord God. Psalm one forty-four verse one. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Blessed be the Lord, my rock and my great strength who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. For some of you, that fingers for battle just may be collapsing your hands together, bending finger over finger and getting down on your knees and rocking the heavenlies in prayer. But I also believe that a time is coming, that God's going to raise up men, maybe women, I've not seen that in the spirit, who will fight for him both in the natural and the spiritual. When the darkness falls and the things get out on the earth and we begin to see the things that have been prophesied, there's going to be a physical part to it. There's a physical equation. But he's already called and strengthened those who will do that. This idea of strength is also used to imply financial influence, which is wealth. Now, isn't that interesting? You can be a a person of valor, of strength, because he's given you the finances to do so. Unfortunately, money rules this world, and the God of this world uses money to destroy the kingdoms, especially to attack the kingdom of God. I'm believing for a time when he's going to anoint certain people with financial strength to destroy the kingdom of darkness, to take things back, to reclaim the land that's been stolen like the the promised land was stolen. Remember, he promised this, this part to Benjamin, but to the tribes where they could live. This is where their kingdom would be. Land that he had ordained since the beginning, before the flood. But what happened? It was populated by the fallen, by their offspring, the Nephilim. They've squatted on God's land. I'm tired, folks. I'm tired of the enemy squatting on God's land. I'm tired of the enemy stealing what doesn't belong to him. I'm tired of him touching my our children, my children, your I'm tired of it. I'm tired of us not walking in authority and doing what we've been called to do and whining and moaning and groaning and saying, Lord, why? Well, he tells you why. Change your life. Get your act straight. Do what my word tells you to do and you'll walk in victory and power. Do I believe that there's disease and sickness in a fallen world? Absolutely I do. But I also believe we help it along by our diet and our choices and what we do to ourselves and refusing to adhere to his biblical principles. But right now at Jericho, there's a new generation of warriors ready to fight the Lord's battle who literally fulfill the phrase, mighty Men of valor, born in the wilderness, trained under Moses and Joshua, the naysayers, the complainers, the fearful ones are long gone. They're dead. This group is ready to rock and roll. No fear. Joshua and his men, they've been chosen. They're ready to do this for the Lord. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. And what this was, This was assembled to the children of Israel, but also to the enemies watching from the top of Jericho. The the, the walls of Jericho were so thick that they had chariot races up there. They're watching this. The Ark of the Covenant. They've heard about it. It's down there. So not only is it to encourage the children of Israel, it's to discourage the enemy. 
What if we walked like that? I don't mean carrying an ark around. That would get tiring. We are the Ark of the Covenant. We are the ones with the power inside of it. What if we lived a life that just touching us would be deadly to the enemy? I know I share this with you, and we're all family, and and some of you know me better, and you've seen what I do. You've been around when I do what I do. But I'm telling you, folks, I've got this attitude. I know who I am. I know who my dad is. I know that the spirit inside of me raised Yeshua from the grave. And woe be to any demon, fallen angel, Canaanite God, doesn't matter who it is. If you stand in front of me, you're going down in his name. In one particular encounter in McCullough, Alabama, the one that we've confronted repeatedly brought a big brother. The Lord told me he was going to big bring a big brother. You can't say that very quickly. And he did. In the spirit, the righteous anger of God came upon me. I couldn't get out of the backpack quick enough. I couldn't get everything off me quick enough to walk out into the middle of that area and call him out. And this is basically what I said. I said their names and I said, hey, let's get it on. Me and my king against you and yours, and let's see what happens. I can tell you, and there were eyewitnesses to it, it did not end well for them. So you have the warriors, the seven priests blowing the ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant, and those following behind. And so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. I wonder if there's a video archive in heaven where we could just sit down and watch historical events like this. I've never thought about that before. Of course, I'm a little weird, but it would just be really cool to see that moment. The ark, the priest blowing the horns, the military honor guard before and after, telling the the inhabitants of Jericho, telling the Nephilim, telling the demons, telling the fallen angels that are in the area, guess what? God's here. He's leading us in battle, and you're going down. And all of this is confirming what Moses prophesied before his death in Deuteronomy 31. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come in and go out as your spiritual and military leader. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. See the partnership? They're working together. And Joshua is the one who will go across before you to lead you, just as the Lord has said. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will hand them over to you, and you shall do to them in accordance with all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble in dread before them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you or abandon you. It's not likely that the whole Israelite army went around the city. It's too many too many people for too small an area. Nearly 600,000 members of the military, 2 to 3 million people. Joshua had a hand-picked people, a select number deemed necessary for this occasion. And I think we have a foreshadowing of what he picked, although we have no reference of it. In Joshua 4, verses 12 through 14, when he took the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, and crossed over armed for battle before the sons of Israel, about 40,000 men armed and equipped for war, crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord magnified and exalted Joshua 
in the sight of all Israel, so they feared him with profound awe and reverence, just as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. I believe those 40,000 already had their assignment. They were the ones that marched around Jericho. They were prepared. They were the tip of the spear that went first across the Jordan, and now they're going to be the first to go into Jericho. I'm going to stop right here. That's so much more to tell you, and I don't want to rush through what I've got. I believe, this is just me, that we're in a Jericho moment in this world. We're in a Jericho moment for the church. America's in a Jericho moment. Unfortunately, I, no, I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm not going to say that. God can do whatever he's going to do. But we need people of valor. We need people of righteousness. We need people sold out to him. We need people filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the spoken word that will speak things and they happen. People confident in their Lord. Confident in their King. Chosen to do what they do. Anointed to do what they do. People that are ready. I can't tell you if you're one of those. I know I am. I may sound bold. I may sound arrogant. I don't mean it that way. I just know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. So, Father, in the name of your Son, Yeshua, we've spoken the word. And you say that signs and wonders follow the word. And I'm asking for signs and wonders amongst your children. I'm asking for those that are backslidden to repent and come back to you. I'm asking for those that have a calling on their life but are out of order to get right with you. I'm asking that those that don't know what they're supposed to do can finally hear your voice clearly, that the static and the interference of this world be gone and they hear your voice, even if it's a whisper in the whirlwind. I'm praying you heal them where healing is needed. Heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, whatever it is. I'm asking you, Dad. To call your children into the family business. I'm asking you to wake them up in the night. Empower them. Give them a prayer language that makes the walls shake. Stir up the fire that is in them. Let the word come alive inside of them. Let them begin to absorb the word. Let them begin to eat it like a meal, like they've never had it before. And it nourishes them and it strengthens their spiritual muscles and bones. And I'm praying for a fire, a fire that, like I said, never been seen before. They've never felt it. The world's never seen it that comes with their words or with their touch or whatever it is, Lord, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit. We want to live in the promised land. We want to live in the land of your promises. So Holy Spirit, help us right now, each and every person listening. Encourage them, envelop them, speak to them. Most of all, bestow the love of God upon them into their heart and let them know who they are as child, as children of the King. Children of the King. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.